Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America on this Red Shirt Friday. We are actually thinking about Colorado. I think most people know that Colorado and Oregon have big initiatives coming up. We spent a great deal of time in March traveling the state of Colorado, trying to not only prepare for the initiative, which we call Initiative 600. I don't know why I said that, Melody. It's Initiative 16. 16. You know why I said that? Because I didn't get my clock going when I started. And so it's a guy trying to multitask. And how's that ever work? You know, not very well sometimes. Yeah. Melody, Michelle, please just tell it like it is from now on, okay? Don't don't be buffering yeah, your face. I will. <laughs> Co-create- co-creator of rural slash urban allies for Colorado agriculture. It's only fitting that you would join Rural Route, where we're all about connecting rural and urban America. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. In the shadows of Colorado State University and the big Rams. Yes. Well, you're perfectly positioned in the front range to just go down the mountain range and educate everybody about this. But before we do that, you told me enough about your history that I want to start there because um, you kind of grew up not appreciating meat maybe as much as I did. How did that all come about? (laughs) So I am actually a second generation vegetarian Mm -hmm. and um, my mother was raised vegetarian for religious reasons. It was a health message part of the church and, but they never had anything necessarily against meat or people who raised animals for meat. It was just, it was strictly a health message. Um, So she passed that tradition on to me and um, there are actually multiple types of vegetarians. So um, I was raised as an ovo-lacto-vegetarian, and that basically means that I ate eggs and cheese and milk and all of that, but um, and no fish, nothing with eyeballs. I, I say nothing with eyeballs. It makes it a lot easier because <laughs> some people don't think of fish as meat. So, um, what about pinto beans? They have eyeballs. I know, right? <laughs> nothing with <laughs> blinking eyeballs. No, I don't think you can't go eyeballs. there. All right, keep going. So, um, for a little while I was vegan. I was vegan for about three years and I've gone vegan on and off throughout the years just to take care of my own health. Um, my body just so happens to respond better to a predominantly vegetarian or vegan diet. I did start introducing a little bit of chicken into my diet, very small amount, um, and some fish. It just Mm -hmm. kind of makes it easier to eat out with friends, things like that. Because for me, it was never about, an animal rights thing. I, I believe that animals should be treated well, but I think that farmers and ranchers know how to treat animals a heck of a lot better than I do. So <laughs> that's my stance on it. <laughs> uh, so is it worthy of us having the discussion about all of the health reasons you should consume animal products, meat, you know, because you are eating animal products. It's just the meat aspect. Yeah, and so I think from a genetic standpoint, there have been some studies done that different people's bodies respond better to different things. Mm -hmm. And so on a vegetarian diet, as long as you're taught how to food combine, you can actually get full proteins. And if you're familiar with the foods or if they're very common in your diet, like for us, rice and beans were the common staple. Mm -hmm. So rice and beans together 
together create a complete protein. Um, whereas other people might have a more difficult time combining foods, and so their bodies might not process it well. Rice and beans is also a very inexpensive way to create a complete protein. But for people who don't have access to rice and beans, meat is a really great alternative because it, especially for people who um, are low income or who struggle financially, they're able to get a super power packed um, nutrient dense food into their bodies for very little money typically. So I think that it's very important to have dietary diversity and it's one of the reasons that I advocate for you listen to your body. Mm-hmm. If if your body digests meat well and it's something that is affordable to you, eat meat. If your body, like some people have autoimmune diseases that their bodies just can't handle a lot of animal protein, then listen to your body. But make sure that you food combine and um, and just know what you're doing because a vegetarian vegan diet is not something that you can go into just willy nilly. You will end up uh, malnourished a lot of times if you don't food combine properly. And, and, and mentally challenged. And mentally challenged. I don't well, know. I feel like I'm real smart. <laughs> no, some of them <laughs> end up mentally challenged. <laughs> uh, so when you do not eat animal proteins and fats and and that in the rice and beans category i can see where you get some of your proteins you get a high level of starch and carbs from the rice i don't know where you're getting your fats fats are vital for mental health particularly from a de- depression and, and standpoint like absolutely. that absolutely and so we would make our rice and beans we would always use olive oil mm, so sure. olive oil okay. of has good omega 3s so that's where we would get our fats we would also use um coconut oils um and for us, we would use butter. As a vegan, you usually will do olive oil, avocado oil, um, different type of um, any sort of nuts or seed oils. The the concern that I have with, let's say everybody goes vegan, mm-hmm. is a lot of these things are not, um, on a large scale, they're not sustainable. Because a lot of these crops require a lot of water. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you may be doing something good as far as adding fats that way, like you're saying to your diet for brain health and um, and um, just mental health in general. If you look at how much water and fresh water it actually takes to grow a lot of these crops, it's not really sustainable for everybody to do it. That's why it's very important to have dietary diversity. Well, except we have the same amount of water we had on the planet when Jesus was here. Yes. So, yes, I would say, though, that it's all about distribution of water, right? Uh, so Correct. Where the water's located may be different than when Jesus parted the sea. It was Moses parted the sea, not Jesus. Jesus Moses walked parted. on the water. Yes, Jesus walked on the water. That's yeah. right. So how, do you use eggs today? In your diet? I do use eggs. Because mm-hmm. quite frankly, eggs. as much as I am a beef and pork producer, I, I got to admit, the uh, readily available nutrition that you get from all the complex amino acids and proteins from eggs is the cheapest protein source you can find. Better than your pinto beans with eyeballs, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> eggs are really great. And actually, one of the vitamins... um uh, that vegans often have a hard time acquiring is vitamin B12. Right. And vitamin B12 is found in egg yolks. That's why it's easier for lacto 
over vegetarians to um, acquire that nutrient. So there are certain things that are pretty tricky, but I agree with you. Eggs are definitely, Mm -hmm. when it comes to a complete protein, definitely the cheapest way. And what's great is if you are able to have your own chickens, um, which a lot of people in the city can have, I used to have six of them, um, for pretty, I mean, the feed, you might need to supplement some feed, but a lot of Mm -hmm. times you can you can do the vegetable scraps from the kitchen and you end up with this amazing egg product or product. I mean, in other words, product as in your omelets, you make your frittatas, you make your, you can add them to baked goods. You can do all of that stuff. And it's not only do you have that connection with the earth and with the animal, but you also have a really fresh, high quality product for very little money. Are you telling me you've lived your life without bacon? I have accidentally consumed bacon. Yes. <laughs> how do you how do you accidentally eat bacon? You know, sometimes I try to just ask um I try not to do like going out to eat for example too uh-huh. too high maintenance of an order. So I'll just say just hold the bacon or whatever, but you know, people get in a hurry, they get used to making things how they make things and you know, they'll start sprinkling it in there or something like that. And then they stop themselves. So I'll get like a little piece of bacon and it is very tasty. It is. I'm not arguing that. (laughs) Yeah. You'd have um, serious credibility problems, Melody. If you're arguing with me that bacon doesn't taste good. No, it does taste good. (laughs) And if you want to compare nutrient profiles between the grease from bacon and your olive oil, hmm, you might be in trouble there too. Yeah, I definitely think that for me, it's never, I, I try to, I try to, um, not necessarily compare them side by side in this. I mean, I compare them side by side, but I also understand that the concentration of certain foods and nutrients and foods are definitely going to be different than other foods. You know, it's, it's similar to, um, I'm trying to think like dark meat versus light meat mm-hmm. and how. What, what is the difference between dark meat and white meat? Standing. It's an easy answer, though. It's just one word. It's the fat content. pH, right? water, water holding capacity. Is it? Yep. Is it? Okay. Absolutely. I thought that it was fat content Mm-mm. as well. No. No. Okay. The pH, the higher the pH, the more fat that's held within. So like a chicken breast has very little water, very little pH. Consequently, it doesn't retain fat either. Oh, okay. pH. Yeah. So it's all about the pH. But that's also why, that's also why your chicken leg is juicier than your chicken breast and you have to pump something in the chicken breast to make it taste good. I got to go to a break. It's roll route. We are through with diet 101. We're going to talk about rural and urban Colorado education, agriculture with Melody Michelle. Yeah. Two first names. How about that? More after this. I know. <laughs> Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce. And I hope, Melody Michelle, that we just set an example for people who don't necessarily always agree on diet, but can have a pleasant, respectful discussion. We need more of that. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. I think that there's nothing wrong with having a difference in opinion. Mm -hmm. It's all in how you share that opinion, right? You just have to be respectful and understand that, hey, at the end of the day, you do you and I do me. (laughs) No, at the end of the day, you say, well, you're right, Trent, but I'm going to continue to do it my way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or that. I might do that. <laughs> or that. All right. So co-creator, rural and urban 
Allies for Colorado Agriculture. What, what's this about? Who did you create this with and what are you trying to accomplish? So the, the origination of Urban and Rural Allies for Colorado Agriculture actually began with a private group called um, Fighting Initiative 16, who was started, which was started by my friend Jocelyn. Mm-hmm. And um, I started looking through and learning about this initiative and I was just appalled. So I decided that because in Colorado, there are a little over 5 million citizens in Colorado. And of those citizens, less than a million of them actually live in rural areas. However, they will be the most highly impacted by this because most of our rural communities also make up um, pretty much all of our agricultural communities. Right. So except for those backyard moment, chicken people in Fort Collins. Except for the backyard chicken people. <laughs> so I realized in that moment that unless somebody stood up in the urban community and really set the pace for us becoming allies, mm-hmm. that this was most likely going to pass simply because of how they have titled the initiative from the beginning. The initiative t- was originally titled Protect Animals from Unnecessary Suffering and Exploitation. So if I'm living in the city and somebody comes knocking on my door with a, peti- with a petition paper and says, hey, there's this initiative that we're trying to get on the ballot and it's to protect animals from unnecessary suffering and exploitation, most likely, first of all, I'm going to think about my dog and my cat. You're going to sign it. And I'm going to sign it. And at that moment, I was like, absolutely not. So I actually started a group called Urban Allies Against CO Initiative 16. Mm -hmm. And then Jocelyn and I teamed up and we created together Urban and Rural Allies for Colorado Agriculture because the goal is this is not going to stop with this initiative. Even if we do everything we can and work with our coalition and all of that stuff and make this initiative go away, This is going to continue happening because there is more and more misinformation out there about agriculture and about the benefits that livestock bring to the table from an environmental standpoint, sociocultural, um, sustainability, um, just there's, there's so much benefit that cattle, sheep, pigs, all of these livestock animals bring to the table that unless we kind of work together basically to re-educate people specifically in the urban areas and hopefully teach people in the rural areas a little bit about what it's like living in the urban areas and why we're so misinformed, that hopefully we can really create a brighter future for Colorado by educating, cultivating, and advocating. That's our, that's our motto. We educate, we cultivate, and we advocate. So, so I, I love how you positioned that melody because I mean, the concept of this program for 18 years has been to bridge the gap between rural and urban. And, and so what you've just given us is the reason to embrace the opportunity to take this, uh, horrible potential situation and turn it into a huge bridge between rural and urban Colorado, which can be a precedent for every other state in the country. Exactly. And that's our hope. Um, We just, we're really tired of it. We're two gals who are just, we're tired of it. We're tired of the bickering. We're tired of the dividing based on parting lines and on 
um, just different ways of life and people not understanding our different ways of life. So they don't have respect for our different ways of life. Like we're just really, we're kind of tired of it. We, because at the end of the day, we're, we're all human beings. Mm -hmm. You know, we want the roof over our head. We want food in our bellies. We want to be loved and we want to leave a legacy. Right. So why don't we focus on those things and how we can support each other to create those things in our own communities instead of focusing on ways to, um, well, you stay over there and I'll stay over here because you could never understand what I go through. Like, that's not that's not productive, you know, and that's no way to leave a legacy, especially a legacy for our children. And I don't have children, but she has children. And to me, it's very important that we do everything we can, including setting aside our egos to make sure that they have a wonderful future and that they understand that just because you might be from different worlds doesn't mean that you can't love each other, have respect for each other, be compassionate. So you're in a very interesting position because people expect me to say, well, we need animal agriculture. And the Colorado Initiative, quite frankly, doesn't say we're going to get rid of animal agriculture. It just puts barriers in place that nobody can afford to be in it anymore. Nobody wants to eat a steer that's five years old or a pig that's three years old. It's just not what what we want to do. It it ends animal agriculture in the state of Colorado. But I'm the sixth generation. Uh, You claim to be German. You don't look nearly as German as I am. Um, And I'm the sixth generation since 1832. My family's raised livestock for human consumption. So it's just, it's just natural. And it's an innate natural response that I'm going to say, you're stupid, Colorado. You can't do this. You don't even eat the animal. And you're telling us that we should not have such a stupid law. So it puts you in a, a great position to say, hey, let's really think about what are the long-term ramifications of this? And obviously, Melody, you've been doing this for a while. How are people responding? You know, the urban side is, of course, going to be a little bit slower because mm-hmm. this has never been, at least in this way in Colorado, bridging this gap has never been attempted the way we're trying to do it. Okay, um, We're trying to do it very organically. And what I mean by that is we have the Facebook groups and we just encourage people to invite at least one of their urban friends. And in those groups, we really focus on almost like a classroom where we create this environment where people are held to a certain standard and we talk to each other and we can question, we can have our opinions, but we really try and I guess act as mediators between the groups Um, the rural side, of course, was much quicker to grow that that group has over 20,000 members in it. My group has just over a thousand. Um, but I think part of it too, is it's just going to take a little time to get that information to the urban areas because we have a lot of barriers, you know, in urban areas, we're told that factory farming is the norm when in Colorado, it's not 87% of Farms and ranches in Colorado are family are small family owned operations, and the average size of said farmer ranch is right around eight hundred nineteen acres or something like that. It's not this huge conglomerate, you know, the size of a of distribution center. You know, that's not what Colorado agriculture is. 
And I think that that's one of the barriers for a lot of urbanites. They think that all of the animals in Colorado end up experiencing this horrible existence for their entire lives. When really the majority of our livestock are outside for their entire lives. It's only a very small time frame when those animals, even in the large operations, are there in confined quarters. And in addition to that, there are a ton of regulations for um, the concentrated feeding operations. They have to have a certain amount of space. They have to have all of, they have to meet all of these um uh, these points, these qualifications in order to even be on there because Colorado is number four in the country for animal, um, basically animal regulations, animal welfare regulations. So um, I think the other states are like on the coasts, you know, it's like Oregon and Maine and I can't remember, Illinois. I Massachusetts think. and California. Um, so, but Animals are not properly cared for in Colorado because they're the fourth most regulated state in the country. Animals are cared no. for properly in Colorado because the farmer and the rancher cares about its animal first. If exactly. it doesn't, the animal is going to be stressed. The animal is going to be mm-hmm. susceptible to disease and then nobody wins. So exactly. I, I just don't want, I don't want to fall prey to that, that, well, because we have state regulations, oh. these animals are, are cared for. No, and, and that's oh, 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 hold that thought because I have yeah. to go talk about caring for animals. Lone Creek Cattle Company providing the opportunity to pay you for the proper amount of beef that is produced in a tender way. It's all stemming from the Piedmontese breed imported from Italy and now the Americanized Piedmontese Cavizi. We are still right in the middle of our calving season. These calves come so easy, they get up, they're very vigorous, they grow, they're healthy, and they taste tender. Actually, tender is not a taste. It's an eating experience that you need to and you want to experience on a regular basis when eating beef. Get more details about being a part of the Lone Creek Cattle Company Piedmontese system. It's a certified Piedmontese system at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. LD Michelle, we've got the second half of the rural route ahead of us after this. Welcome back. Rural route, Trent Luce on a red shirt Friday. Um, I cut you off, Melody. Oh, By the okay. way, co-creator of Rural and Urban Allies for Colorado Agriculture. And I cut you off when you were about to say that you did not imply that only regulations are what keep animals in proper care. Correct. I think that using talking points like that are how to um, get more urbanites on board and help them understand. It's almost like introducing a topic. So when we introduce the topic by saying, hey, look, you know, this is what we have in place. Now, let's actually talk about like the boots on the ground aspect, the people who are actually doing this and making sure that these animals are living these really great lives, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that understanding that Colorado agriculture, we have an extremely high um, uh, expectation for how uh, livestock is raised. We have a lot of research facilities here. Like you mentioned, I'm right down the street from CSU. Um, and I think that there's a lot of generational pride and there's a legacy to uphold in Colorado. So 
like you mentioned, it's not so much that farmers and ranchers take care of their animals because of any sort of regulation. It's because that is the ethic and the value that they are taught. If you want to look at it from a business standpoint, which some people just connect with a little bit better. So for some of my urban friends, I explain to them, it's just like anything else. If you invest in something, you get a better return. Mm -hmm. So the better you take care of your animals, the healthier they are, the happier they are. If, if they're dairy, for example, well, if it's a dairy cow, you know, producing milk, a, ha- a happy cow, healthy cow produces, actually produces milk. Those are going to be the dollars that you offset your expenses with. And it also enables you to have less animals. That's what I'm told anyways, from the people that I've spoken to about this. You're, they're actually able pr- to produce more product, either meat product or dairy with, um, a healthier, happier animal, in addition to uh, the genetic selection that ranchers and farmers do with things like artificial insemination, which is another thing that would be um, pretty much made illegal with how they've proposed this language um, in the state of Colorado. AI would be off the table because of how they change the definitions of sexual accident animal, because that's, they're changing a lot of things um, they're changing a lot of things in the language and it, it gets very convoluted. But one of the things that they're doing is they're removing all of the um, accepted animal husbandry practices mm-hmm. exceptions. So by removing all of that, they've basically remo- removed the discipline that sets the protocol to help animals. And by including companion animals, because they changed the definition of what an animal is in the current, they're proposing to change that, they've actually included veterinary medicine. So I think you probably know veterinary medicine and animal husbandry are kind of like two two little boats in the same ocean. Well, by including the companion animals, they've actually combined them and then they've eliminated them. And then in one of the sections, they actually expand the scope of the animal cruelty um, <clears throat> laws, the proposed language. And they say that in cases of, of conflict, this part two, which is the part that's in the actual statute, shall control. So they're actually superseding the um, any current legislation that protects veterinarians and farmers and ranchers from providing care and which means that they aren't they there's going to be a fear of criminalization for providing um an environment and providing health health care animal health care practices that make the animal healthy and happy right so it's 100 so i want to give you some numbers to verify something you just said in 1950, there were 24 million dairy cows in the United States. Today, we have 9 million dairy cows in the United States, and those 9 million dairy cows produce three times the total amount of milk that 24 million did in 1950. And that's been arrived from genetic selection, better nutrition, better environments, less stress in their everyday life. If an animal is stressed, their reproductive system fails, including milk production. And and so when you keep an animal in an ideal stress level, minimal stress, 
it, it increases production. It's that simple. You get to the fullest potential. And for those that think that artificial insemination removes some romantic notion that the cow and the bull go off and have a picnic together under an oak tree in the back corner, you've never actually seen or been a part of a bull breeding a group of 10 cows in one day. It's like a three-second ram jam deal, folks. It's no candlelight dinner. Nope, and so if it's you're, not. I've never actually been a cow, nor do I think I'll ever be a cow. But if I were a cow... This would be like the best best case scenario to have somebody slightly put a sleeve on and take care of this without all that other ruckus. Yep. But the, but yep. the people don't know that melody because they haven't been a part of it. And that's what we're trying to educate. So you you asked about the response, and I'm trying to make sure to keep bringing it back to that mm-hmm. because I know I get off on tangents because I get. Excited. I had not noticed you would get off on. A <laughs> it didn't occur to me that that would come from you. So by tying it in, I try and bring some of these pieces of information. Um, So by being able to genetically select, you're able to select for like uh, first year heifers. And pardon me, I am still a city girl. So sometimes I use. You're doing marvelous, by the way. You just keep going. (laughs) So a lot of times they have they might have more difficulty birthing for the first time. So by genetically selecting, you're able to select for a birth weight. You're able to select for a head size. So you are reducing the risk that that mama ends up having issues when she's giving birth for the first time. I mean, cows can have issues no matter when. But um, for that first year, I know specifically that genetic... they selection and, for calving ease is what we yes, call it. Yes, thank you. Yes, selection for calving. So different calving things ease. like that. Calving ease. Yes, I was like, there's yeah. a phrase. Yeah, calving, calving ease. But uh, by the way, this will resonate really well with any woman who has actually given birth. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So um, I've met poor women who've been in labor for three days. It's not fun. <laughs> Whereas by doing this, oh. we're able to pick and choose those genes. Now, sometimes you get this little, you know, yeah. you might get a freak thing, but for the most part, um, things like emergency procedures, they've been reduced. Mm-hmm. And so animal life is preserved. So if you exactly. eliminate AI, you're not able to necessarily choose for that with as much accuracy. The other thing AI does prevent too is um, the spread of any sort of disease. So there is a disease that I, unfortunately, I can't remember the name, and trick. they have Just pretty call much it a trick. limit. Trick? trick. Okay. Trick of Okay, and they've pretty much eliminated it, I believe, from the population of cattle, and it's Correct. now only in what the bison or the buffalo in Yellowstone, maybe. Okay, you're talking about brucellosis, which is a brucellosis. Yes, yes, that's a disease passed primarily through milk or saliva. We have, with uh, rare cases in Michigan and Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, thanks to the transfer from uh, some of the cervid population, deer and elk. And in Yellowstone, where the bison and the federal government does not manage the bison herd properly, like cattle ranchers do in Montana and Wyoming, yeah. there are still some uh, brucellosis issues. But there's a sexually transmitted disease, which Colorado has had some issues with. Nebraska's had issues with it. it it's, it's just a venereal disease like people get, and it's called trichomyosis. I'm, I'm not quite pronouncing it right, but that's the moral of the story. In the cattle country, we just call it trick. And you test your bulls okay. to verify that they do not have trick and they're not going to pass that. 
Exactly. And I think that that helping the urbanites understand it and really making analogies. So that's how I'm trying to introduce this to my friends and to anybody else in the city is really using analogies. Like you said, um, for any woman who's given birth, you mm-hmm. know what it would be like to have a really bad birth, you know, the first yeah. time around or any time. Yeah. So, well, Eve did take the bite of the apple. But so there's that. <laughs> I mean, she did. She did. <laughs> oh, goodness. You're going to have to pay for that the rest of your life. <laughs> I feel like I feel like she just had a little lapse of judgment. <laughs> she oopsie. Big oopsie. <laughs> Melody, she had more yeah. estrogen than testosterone. It comes with the territory. It does. It does. <laughs> You're supposed you to argue with me. You're not supposed to be agreeable. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not even going to argue with that. I own it. Well, like, our our um our emotional diversity gives life zest. <laughs> oh, isn't that a true story? I, I, I have three daughters. I got a lot of zest. Oh yes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of zest. A lot of zest. Uh, so one minute I, before I'm going to interrupt you, just before you get off yeah. on one of your tangents. I know, right? So there are a lot of ways that I try and bridge the gap and it will grow, you know, as, as I learn more what certain populations respond to as far as in, you know, Boulder might respond to something different than Fort Collins, et cetera. Marijuana, that's all they're going to respond to. Yeah. Right. And I think also helping people understand that without livestock, we aren't going to have the, the crops that we have, um, in as a sustainable manner. And we'll get to that later. <laughs> no, tell me about that in the last minute. Okay, I'll tell you about that. So livestock, you know, there's this myth, this, there's this, this environmental myth, right, that livestock mm-hmm. are horrible for the planet and all this stuff. Well, really, livestock are able to divert food waste from landfills. Mm-hmm. They're able to provide us with manure, super nutrient rich, that is an organic matter that um, we can put in our gardens and we can put on crops and everything. They don't typically drink the same water, so they aren't using the same type of water necessarily as a crop would use. There's the difference between green water, to my understanding, and fresh water. So if we were to eliminate livestock in Colorado, we would also see a hit in our produce farming. So our fruits, our vegetables, our orchards. I mean, think about orchards on Palisades. So that's where, um, that's why I say that is mm-hmm. yeah. you would see a hit as well there. You've done a fantastic job, Melanie. I'm going to take a break. We'll come back and finish up. Neogen is one of those entities that, that looks at the DNA that's present in these animals. This is some of the science that Melody's talking about. What are the alleles that are present in your parent stock that's going to increase the efficiency of the system in the next generation? Neogen's job is to look at that genomic database compared to what we know and give you a prediction on which one's going to do the best. If you're doing food animals, chickens, even people doing pets because they want to know what the origin of their pet is by breed. Get details about how you can shine a light on your genetic future at neogen.com. We'll be back with the last segment with Melody Michelle after this. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce, Melody Michelle. This has to be the strangest conversation I've ever had in 18 years of conducting conversations because this young lady starts by telling me she's 
mostly vegetarian. Now she's explaining the benefit of animals to the ecosystem. The only thing she left out, everything that she said was completely accurate, but she left out that animals that we eat only eat plants. That's all they eat. And so the plants that they eat are fed by what other people call greenhouse gases. So the more animals we have, the more plants we need, the more greenhouse gases that absorb from the atmosphere and turn into oxygen. So it's part of the entire life cycle. You can't take one part of the life cycle out and have a healthy planet. Nope, you sure can't. Melody, you're weird. I know, and that's how did, okay. <laughs> how did you get to this point with such a passion about explaining these these food production systems and, and and learning so much about it and then wanting to get in the middle of what's going to be what I think a, a, the biggest fight Colorado's ever seen. And you're right on top of this. How does this happen? I think for me, so I actually, um, one of my, my major, well, I love lots of things. We already talked about Melody and her tangents. So I am a pre, I have an associate's in pre-allied health. I have an associate's in massage therapy. I have a bachelor's in hospitality management. At one point I was going to become a registered dietitian. Like I just, I love learning. I thought about becoming a psychologist, all of this stuff. And so. And you were a truck driver. And I was a truck driver and I've worked concrete and I've worked iron and. Nothing weird done. about you at all. You're just normal. Go <laughs> no, ahead. <laughs> so I think for me, I just love learning and mm-hmm. I love teaching. And I think that in our world, we so often just take whatever is handed to us and we take it as the truth. We never, we very rarely question things anymore because we're in a hurry. We're in this survival mode. We're paying really high rent. We're paying really high utilities, all of this stuff. But what we're doing when we lose focus on becoming a really well-rounded human being is we end up being really heavily weighted in one area. And typically it's around, like I said, the survival basics, keeping a roof over our head, keeping our bills paid and hanging out with our friends and family. Well, those, those things that we're so heavily weighted on without functioning areas like other areas, those things end up going away, which this last year was right. a great example of, you know, being shut down and all of this stuff. We started really understanding that information and learning things and taking the time to slow down, which a lot of us were forced to do and injecting our brains with more information is really important to being a well-rounded human being. And that is what I'm passionate about. And it just so happens that one of my favorite things that was passed down to me from my grandfather, particularly, because he would always put in a garden wherever he lived, mm-hmm. um, was just being connected with the earth. My mom did everything she could as a single mom to make sure that she would take me out of the city and we would drive up from DC. We would go into Pennsylvania. We'd go into West Virginia. We'd go into the rural parts of Maryland and we'd find the fruit and vegetable stands. And, you know, she would find the places where we pick stuff. So I like combining my brain stuff with my earth stuff. So I'm kind of this heady hippie, earth mama that just wants to tell everybody about all these things. And I just really want people to get along. (laughs) And I think that this is something that while if we don't take the time to learn about it, and if nobody is willing to educate and do the really hard work of putting themselves out there, you know, with the groups that we've created, um, 
then this is going to divide us when it's actually something that can so strongly connect us. You know, getting connected to the earth, getting connected to our food source. We can't live without food. And understanding where it comes from and how it's improved. Like you mentioned the dairy cows. How Mm -hmm. cool is that? You know, that we're able to produce three times because of the science and because that people actually care about these animals. And yeah, money comes into it. But I remember in high school when I was getting ready to go to college, one of the things that I was told is you pick your two favorite things to do and you make the first one your hobby and you make the second one your living. Well, I don't know if all ranchers and farmers absolutely love every single aspect of farming and ranching because it is really, really tough. But I feel like for a lot of them, it's definitely going to be that number two. Most of them, it's that number one. It's just like number one and two, but it's at least number one, except for Mother Nature's interference. And that exactly, exactly. And so I think that, you know, talking about the money aspect and helping educate people about it's okay for them to make money. Like, it's not a bad thing. You know, in the city, that's one of the things I hear about. It's like, well, they just care about the money. And I'm like, well, don't you care about the money when you go to work? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's right, right. But, you know, you know in a sad situation, I, I just kind of dawned on me. Uh, there was more profit achieved when we had 24 million cows producing less milk than with 9 million cows producing three times as much milk. It's better for the animal, but it's not better for the farmer. Exactly. But you guys were still willing to do that. Right. You know, and that speaks volumes. And I think that is why I'm passionate. Mm-hmm. I like breaking the mold. I like breaking stereotypes. It's why I became a truck uh, driver. You are wildly <laughs> successful at breaking the mold, sweetheart. Let me tell you, you got that one down. Uh, so how do, in the last five minutes here, if you could create a visual on how uh, rural and urban allies for Colorado agriculture is going to accomplish this. You mentioned Facebook pages. I have zero faith in Facebook surviving. So what are your outreach and how are you going to actually make this happen? So we have started um, in the groups. I created volunteer positions and those volunteer positions are basically like our communications. So we have, um, I need 64 volunteers. I have about five right now. That's fine. People will sign up. But basically, we're reaching out to school districts. We've reached out. Our first um, our first project was to reach out to the county commissioners. We now have, the last we counted, 22 out of 64 county commission, board of county commissioners have signed resolutions opposed to Initiative 16. So then they, of course, can put the word out to their um, constituents in their areas. Um, we're going to be reaching out to school districts. We're going to be reaching out to the pet and feed stores. We're talking radio. We're talking television. I mean, I even sent a message over to Telemundo because I was like, this is going to disproportionately affect minority groups, especially in like the San Luis Valley. Um, and so, uh, so that we're talking about, um, reaching out to the feed stores. We're talking about reaching out to, oh, I have a whole, I well, have a huge but, but Melody, you can't go to the feed stores because the feed stores, probably everybody's already in line anyway. I mean, this is going to boil down to what happens in Denver and Boulder. 
Yes. So specifically in Denver and Boulder, mm-hmm. we, um, we've talked about doing, cause Denver and Boulder, they have a lot of farmers market presence. Right. right. So getting into the farmers markets, that's the other, that's one of the other things on the list. Um, Greeley Stampede is a nice, um, meeting of both urban and rural. So we, we've been working to try and get some banners and, uh, some information out to any of the vendors or for the vendors to have there at the Green, Greeley Stampede. So we're trying to kind of hit these areas to start with anyways, where, um, rural and urban meet naturally in the state and then target more specifically where it's predominantly urban, urbanites, um, congregating so the farmers markets the food co-ops is another big thing so food co-ops in colorado it's kind of like a costco but for local product Mm -hmm. so for collins we have a food co-op so reaching out to the food co-ops and helping them understand how it will not only impact their business but it'll impact their customers and the quality of products that they'll be able to offer so that's where we're starting but our idea is constantly growing so if if you or anybody out there is like, Hey Mel, have you thought about doing this? Just message me and let me know because I'm only one person, you know, I, Hey, hey Mel. (laughs) Yeah. Here's my idea. Everybody that you just described and goes to their Greeley stampede, goes to the farmer's market, whether it's in Lamar, La Junta or Craig, they all have relatives and friends that live in Denver and Boulder. That's right. And the only way that we truly have a success story in this is that if everybody calls 10 of their friends and explains <laughs> to them how dangerous this is for all Coloradans and that Absolutely. don't fall prey to the uh, the BS that's going to come their way mm-hmm. about this is somehow beneficial for the animal because it's not. It'll eliminate the animal. Okay. And then once you let, look what's happened in the Rocky Mountains since we reduced logging and grazing. And now oh we gosh. have to deal with more fires than ever before because we eliminated yeah. part of the natural consumptive and use of that resource. Absolutely. And it's just going to be a statewide issue if you fall prey to this nonsense. So my idea, yeah. and this is what I shared in Cortez the other night. Everybody calls 10 people they know that yeah. live in an urban part of Colorado. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point, which I really love, and I, I didn't mean to poo poo you, but kind of, no, we, all, we right. always, we always think that, well, you know, the people, the people in Fort Collins or Hudson, they get it. No, don't take for granted that anybody gets it. Have this conversation no. with everybody, whether they live in rural or urban Colorado. I talked to my cashiers at the store about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I just talked to everybody about it. My servers, if I go out to eat, I'm just like, hey, so did you know? <laughs> Very intrusive, but lovingly. <laughs> I, I thought you'd have some big old button on you here right now with some message. Ask me about 16. I know, right? I should get a yeah. nice big button. Yeah. But that's the other thing, too, is we do have a website off of Facebook because okay. I just started Facebook because it's something that I know a lot of people I know have. Right. But if you go to Allies for and it's F-O-R-C-O-A-G.com, you can send people over there. Um, eventually, uh, we will have like little business cards for people to carry around, just little square ones that you can Perfect. be like, hey, check this out, you know, with a QR code. Um, so if that's easier, but we do have that site off Facebook that people can go to and learn more. And that site is always growing and evolving. So, because um, I agree with you, Facebook and, you know, 
it can be a little shaky. <laughs> See, <laughs> I told sure. you. See, I told you the most important part of the show is at the end of the show. You say, Trent, I agree with you. You just did it. So it's a success story. I, I did. <laughs> I did. And I Melody, think for everybody, remember, I agree with you. You are fantastic. And I want to help you in any way, shape, or form get this done. So once again, where do you want people to go? Allies for CO AG. Dot com and our movement right now is hashtag decline to sign 16 so hopefully on your social media platforms you can put that in and our stuff will pop up or you go to our website allies for coag.com and you can find a bunch of information and um, the email to contact me if you have any questions is on there super easy allies for coag at gmail.com <laughs> so and that'll I'm happy work. to answer questions we've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America both not even show myself remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route